0: Danny, hello. How are you? Good, mate. How you doing? Very good. Where are you? I'm in uh, Brisbane, so uh, thanks for joining us uh, so much this afternoon, mate. Look, I'm prepping for this interview, and I was going to bullshit you and tell you that I'm a long-time fan of train spotting, but. The truth is that's not the case. It came out when I was about 10, and all I remember is going to the video shop and seeing a shivering, cold, wet Ewan McGregor and an R rating on the front cover of the video, and it honestly scared me. I never wanted to go back to it, but I, 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 I watched it just prior to seeing this sequel, so I feel like I owe you a congratulations and thank you for the movie, even though it is 21 years old it's wow. an amazing film taking the sequel out for a second where does that original sit for you after all this time
1: yeah it, well it sits with other people is the honest truth of it when you have a success it sort of other people own it more than you do they sort of know more about it than you do so you don't feel in possession of it anymore it's a very weird feeling so i don't feel i don't feel like proprietorial over it you know if someone says to you they see one of the films that nobody liked and someone says to you, "They liked it." You feel a warm glow at that moment, <laughs> but not in this case, because you sort of you sort of take it for granted that it's okay, you know, that it's done all right and that it'll survive because it seems to have done okay. Whereas you worry about the other ones being unloved, I suppose.
0: And and feeling that I guess that uh, in in a way, lack of ownership, like you said, was this someone? This something you immediately wanted to do, or did you? Uh, were you happy to have seen another director take it at one stage?
1: Um, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want. Ooh, I wouldn't want. a tough one. I wouldn't want anybody to direct this. No, no. There is the ownership thing, right there. You good see. man. Yeah. Um, no, well. We tried. We, 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 there was never any talk, to my memory. There was never any talk when the film was released, the first film, about doing a sequel. Then because that's normally when sequels happen a thing is a hit which it was and then there's bang they come in with do another one we'll give you a million quid personally you can have 2 million quid name your price <laughs> that kind of thinking and and we never that was never a rose and we started thinking about it 10 years ago when Irving Welsh published this porno book and but we tried an adaptation of the book and it wasn't very good it didn't feel like it was worthy of a, a, a sequel to to something that was very cherished mm. now especially by then it was only when the 20 year anniversary loomed on the horizon that we thought wow this will be our last chance and we and we got together in edinburgh me and the writers and a couple of the producers and we we just talked for a week and what came what emerged was this much more personal script about them over time, you know, what had happened to them in the meantime, and the 20-year period was crucial, I think, both both in terms of how acute it made the reunion, you know, it felt like a massive canyon had grown between them all, and also the fact that the actors were older-looking, whereas after 10 years, they weren't, really. They hadn't aged very much in 10 years, but in 20, they had. And that gave us a reason to make the film, which, in a way, was nothing to do with the first film. It had its own Reason, reason, data—you know its on reason to be.
0: Yeah, that's what yeah. I'm going to ask: is like, how do you approach it? Do you approach it as a sequel directly, or as a new film with a backstory? Because I'm thinking like much different films, but you look at something like you know, *Anchorman 2* or *Zoolander 2* and *Independence Day 2* that you know come out between 10 and 20 years after their originals, and I think they all suffered for trying to do too much of the same sort of thing. Whereas I look at *T2*, and I actually can't get over how much it just worked as a perfect type of follow-up. Now that just might be me, honestly, watching the both of them for the first time in a 24 hour period uh, yeah. which was a very interesting experience yeah. but yeah do you approach it as a as a sequel just trying to follow these characters we tried
1: we fought very hard for, for this one not to be called train spotting that was the first thing and that that was and it was a strategic fight to try and maintain the independence of this film and we knew it was a sequel and we also knew deep down we'd have to give in eventually and train spotting would have to be in the title somewhere but we fought like f*** to make sure that it had its own independence. And then once we'd established that, then it felt more comfortable referring to the other film and indeed having scenes in this which are clearly from the other film intercut with scenes in this because it didn't feel we were slavishly following the other film. It felt like this was its own film and it was in a conversation with the original film. And that was... That was a key moment for us. And, then, and when we felt that, that's when we gave in about the title. And we said, all right, call it T2, which was our joke on James Cameron and stuff like that. I, but I read
0: somewhere on the line that you actually wanted to talk to him about uh, like getting permission to use T2. Is that correct or is that some internet BS?
1: No, it was correct. But yeah. then we found out we didn't have to talk to him because legally it's not called... His Terminator film is called Terminator 2. Isn't that's it? true. It's, it's only been referred to on uh, you know by fans as T2. So we thought, oh well, that's a good joke. The characters in our film would enjoy that. If you told them, guys, they're putting you in a sequel yeah. and they want to know what you'd call it, they'd say T2. Call it T2 because we loved it. We loved the original T2. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I am, I am watching this. It, it is such a wonderful throwback to the first movie. Where I think where a lot of other sequels fall into that trap too much of trying to remind you what was so great about the other movie that you love. This, to me, just summed up so much how these characters just can't escape their past. So it, it really fitted why you needed to show so much of the first film and refer to it without, like you said, being slave to it. Is, is, am I looking at that the right way or am I crazy? Because I feel like that Oscar on your mantle should be able to answer the question a lot better than I am.
1: No, but you're right. I mean, if, if you're going to make a film 20 years later, you're going to have to deal with the past because it's alive in all of us, and it's particularly alive in these guys because they are one of their faults, if you like, is that they are they have refused to tr- to let go of the past because previously it was so enjoyable, even though it was there were casualties and suffering, mm. they felt alive in a way that they haven't felt since. So they they want to re- recreate that effortless bravado of the past if they can, or they want to take vengeance on it. Yeah. You know, cuz two of them want to take vengeance on it for the hand it dealt them. So it's alive in them in a way that's irresistible. And in a way that's critical as well because I think men age much worse than women. <laughs> men kind of hang on to the past in the way that women are much more sensible about realizing time is measured out to them. You know, women just have that clock that makes them much more sensible about time, I think, than men are. Men are constantly trying to be 25 again. Yeah. <laughs> or when it get, when that gets ridiculous and they get to their, to their 40s, at least be 32 again or 33 again. You know, that kind of hanging on in that way. and And so the film becomes a journey from the boyhood of the first film to manhood in this film, really. It's you, sort of were, and it's masculinity over time is what it looks like.
0: And when you're, you're researching, I guess, uh, th- you know, the use of, of addiction and all that sort of thing back 20 years ago, how does that change to now, and I guess the, how do your subjects change when... I, I imagine putting this story on, some of the things that you would like to be able to show, you just know that you could never get away with putting, putting on a film and putting it out in the cinema.
1: Well, we kind of... We never really excluded anything. We never, we never really policed ourselves because we always felt that even though some people objected to the, what they thought was an amoral depiction of a world, we always thought, no, this is a real world. It's fictionalised in our story. But that we're telling this story from the perspective of the characters, not from a critical perspective of them, you know, and that they tell their own story and they have their own joys and their own faults, you know. And if you look, if you look properly at the films, the films it it, it appears to glamorise because movies just do glamorise almost any undertaking. Yeah. But also, it shows clearly the casualties that are, that, that that will occur when yeah. uh, when you live in that world. And that's true in this film, and it's certainly true in the memories that they dredge up these terrible memories they dredge up and they take, it's the only time they take heroin in this film is when they try to obliterate those memories on the, uh, in the scene on the moor. When they go back to that moorland again.
0: There's also word going around the internet that like, oh, now that uh, you know, I, I don't know whether they they're pretending it's coming from interviews with you or the cast that you know now that we're back, you know there might be more stories. But what I loved about the first one, even knowing that I was going to see the sequel the next day, was how perfectly it wrapped up its own story. Yet it can pick up and it can it can be a sequel and not have to reboot essentially. And then this one finishes very much and and caps off the story for you even if you don't ever direct another one, do you think there is more story out there to tell or do you feel like this is the complete story of all four of those characters?
1: I don't know. It's funny, isn't it? I, I wouldn't want to rush back into it, but or someone's already pointed out that there's £100,000 of European Union money that <laughs> yes. goes missing at the end of the film and that surely somebody will turn up and say, where's our money and what's it been, <laughs> what's it been used for? So that's enough for a sequel straight away, you know, yep. for a commercial sequel. I don't know whether I would do that, but um, there is a spin-off. Seriously, I mean, I don't want to sound like some Star Wars franchise, but there, there is a spin-off, which is that uh, Irvin's wrote this book about Begbie called The Blade Artist, oh, no. which, which is a very good book. Yeah, And it's written like a film, and that could happen for sure. I think that could happen. I don't know whether it's too soon for me to go back to it, but I know Bobby's very keen to to do that, um, and it's a very, very good book. But it's a bit, you know, it's for me it would be too quick, but... Okay. Um, so what? you never know, that might one That one might emerge, you
0: know? You mentioned Star Wars and like that's a big blockbuster thing. For you, though, what kind of movie do you want to do next? And, and I, I ask with a little bit of bias towards having watched the first movie, there's so much James Bond trivia in there, and then you having James Bond in your London Games introduction, and also you being from that part of the world. Would that be a franchise that you would get in, or do you want to stick to your own stories and much smaller films?
1: I couldn't do a James Bond movie. I like watching them, and I grew up as a kid reading the books. I've read all the books many times. They were kind of a liberating thing, I remember as a as a young kid reading those books. They were so sexy and dangerous. <laughs> anyway, um, but I could never direct one of them. They're made in a very different way to the way I make films. But I'd like to do a musical. Okay, that's what I'm going to try. That's what I'm going to try and do. Yeah,
0: I'm not For a sure. musical fan, but I would watch the hell out of a Danny Boyle <laughs> musical because <laughs> I love it Daniel Castman and I think of all these amazing films, amazing actors that you seem to have either broken out or that you've you'd helped them with their rise. And I just want to say too, I know you. You know, it won a slew of Oscars. Slumdog Millionaire, one of my absolute. Favorites. I think still one of my favourite soundtracks of all time as well. And I love the way that you uh, use music and, and that's all been thrown into oh, cool. uh, to T2 as well, mate. So thank you very much for coming back. I'm so glad that you and the whole team were coming back. Otherwise, I wouldn't want to see it. And I can't wait for everyone to go and uh, rush out and catch it February 23. Danny Boyle, thank you so much for joining us.
1: All right, lovely. Thank you. GetIntoGeek.com